welcome to Rescue Replay. My name is Kala and I'm your host. So we're on episode four. Thanks for tuning in. Very excited to be here as always. Uh, last episode, in episode three, we talked about, I had a story for you and I told you about the first time that I did CPR. And then we talked about like critical incident stress and what happens in the brain when we're going through these kind of high pressure situations. So that was all really good stuff. And I wanted to kind of like play into that because my buddy from Toronto, actually, his his story and I his our story is really quite funny. We we live on opposite sides of the country and we met in this tiny small town in it's considered North BC and we worked at the same pool, like in a town of like 5,000 people, we, we met in this small remote community pool and we both were like, hmm, this is not where we want to be for our lives right now. And he went back to Toronto and I moved back to Calgary first, actually. And then I don't think I moved to Vancouver. Vancouver like adopted me. And actually that's, that's a story all on its own. We'll get there one day. So anyways, my buddy from Toronto and I, we, we DM each other these reels all the time. And he DM'd me this reel this, mor this morning that was like super on point with what we were talking about with episode three. And it's really nice because it's, it kind of gives you a snapshot of like what lifeguarding, the environment that lifeguards, well, all rescuers, first aiders or families, you know, if you have a community with something in common, this is how, you know, you connect within that community. So in this reel, it's it, this guy, I don't even know his name, but he does a lot of TikToks. He's actually quite famous <laughs> and I don't even know his name, but he said, um, one of the ways that we release oxytocin, which is, you know, that our love chemical, this is where we create connection and feel love and, and stuff like that when oxytocin is being released in our brain. We release oxytocin when we have shared struggle with someone. Shared struggle. Okay, so if you think about like another way is like, for relationships, like to release oxytocin, like it'd be things like giving a hug or like, you know, um, being intimate with someone. And these are kind of the acts that release oxytocin that we really talk about and really publicize. But what I liked about this is that it's like, it's the complete opposite side of the spectrum and it's shared struggle. And what I love about that and that fact alone is it's almost like, you like the highs with the highs and the lows with the lows and they go together kind of a thing you know that that whole big picture and some people in their relationship you know get into this like oh well anger is a bad emotion being sad is a negative emotion being upset or frustrated is, is a negative emotion like i want to radiate positivity and they're like i'll only feel happiness joy and and laughter from here on out and they kind of like shame the other side of the spectrum of emotions, which I think is a, is a big mistake. I mean, maybe it works for some people. I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm not an expert in anything. Actually, let me just state that for the record right now. But what I do know from based on my experience is when we, like he says, when we have that shared struggle, or at least when we acknowledge it at the very least, if we acknowledge it, 
within ourselves and we accept it within ourselves, like there's a huge opportunity for learning and growth there. Or if it's with someone else, like learning growth and connection, well, connecting with yourself too. It just opens up this whole other avenue that we don't really talk about. Like we talk about, you know, oh, if you want to change your life, you have to change your mind. And it's like, well, what if your mind is angry? What if whatever is happening in your life, your response to that is anger? And if somebody doesn't tell you like how to actually process that anger and they're just like, well, you just have to change your mind. And you're like on the inside, you're going crazy because you're like, well, how do I do that? Nobody showed me, where's the book? How do I just turn the anger off? Because when it's something that hits you, like hits a string, hits a chord within you, and it could be a result of like a multitude of things, but when something hits you and it has that, your response is that, that's your emotion tied to that chord, you have to process it. And again, that's like the video that I was talking about from the amygdala. You have to watch the video, you have to process it. If you don't, well, I guess actually correction, you're, you don't have to do anything, nothing. If you don't though, it's always going to be there and that's always going to be a thing in your life. So then when things aren't changing or you're attracting the same situations or you find yourself repeating the same patterns, then you know you have solid proof and evidence that something within you has to change before something outside of you can. There's that other great saying that I also really love is, and I should, I really should find, and I should write these down so I can quote people and give them the credit that they deserve because some people are responsible for these things that have really helped me and they deserve that credit. So bear with me. I'll, I'll, I'll start dotting my I's and crossing my T's more, more precisely moving forward. There's this one saying that really helped me for a transitional time in my life. It's, um, instead of focusing on getting rid of the old, just focus on building the new. So it's like, if you have this habit of watching TV every night from five until nine and you want to get out of that habit and start reading or start producing your own podcast yourself or whatever ideas you have, then it's like, okay, well, it took a long time to formulate that habit. So it's going to take just as long, if not longer, to formulate out of it. And we as people, we often think like, oh, I want to change, so I'm going to do this, and we go 100%. It happens every year. New Year's resolutions are famous for this. People do great with them for two weeks, and then they fall off the wagon, and then they jump back on, and then they're off the wagon. And it's because we go too hard, too fast, and we burn ourselves out. If we slowly, incrementally work ourselves into something, intentionally making ourselves better, this is where we formulate solid habits and good processes to help us in situations where we might need a little bit more guidance because it's a little bit more hairy, like the challenge is hard, harder. 
So I loved that sharing struggle and being able to identify with somebody's pain. I love that I the that I found out that it releases oxytocin. No wonder. That totally makes sense. I never knew that before. So that was a really great tidbit. And then it also goes to just explain like lifeguards are a family unit. You know, and I've done I've done plenty of rescues, 16 years on the as an active guard and on the deck and I worked in so many different pools across Alberta, big ones, small ones, wave pools, water parks, all all sorts of crazy stuff and I've done rescues with people that I absolutely love and they're it's a great rescue and I super support it and it's like, you know, you you pound it, you're like, yeah, that's good, like you know, good job and good pat on the back and you know that you can just rely on on them to be there for you and have your back. I've also done rescues with people that I don't particularly get along with or don't particularly like me, you know, and there's a universal language that happens during a rescue. It could You could be going out with someone that you don't really like or there could be tension somewhere, but as soon as somebody else becomes more important, then whatever drama is happening, everything changes. When a life is hanging in the balance, and that is exactly what it is, especially in pools. We don't understand this fact as deeply as I wish society did. But when somebody else's life is hanging in the balance, everything goes out the window. It's incredible how people just come together and are unified by that. Incredible. One thing that's happening in Ontario right now that I just wanted to mention, because Colin, my Toronto buddy, he's also very in line with where I'm coming from on this. Like he's all about like shared struggle, being there for each other. He actually is a, you know what? And Colin, I'm just gonna say, sorry if I miss, if I say this incorrectly, but he just got a promotion and he is a pool manager now. So he, he runs the, he's the big boss, which is what he's always wanted and he's made for it. He's great at it. And um, he's like, okay, like he's now, involved with hiring and all of this stuff and he's looking at the programs and what Ontario is doing and Ontario is going to start letting 15 year olds take the lifeguarding course and be solo out on the pool deck or at least that's what is chattering out about there right now and currently you can be 15 to take the lifeguard course but you're not allowed to be a solo lifeguard until 16. And so when Colin told me this, because I was like, oh, is that national or is that just provincial? And he's like, oh, it looks like it's just for Ontario. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a bit much. Like 15 to take the course is already pretty young. And I also, um, Craig Amundsen, I think I said that right. Sorry, Craig. Uh, but I have a podcast with him coming up, really great guy. He's in the Cayman Islands and he started out as a lifeguard. So very cool story there. But when he heard that the program was going to allow 15 year olds to take the program, he also was like, this is a bit young. Like, And me personally, the people that do fail my course 
or that performed the least in my course are definitely the the 15 year olds as a general rule not always like there's always exceptions there's always fabulous um uh mature people for their age out there um but i have noticed even myself that 15 is quite young and so colin what he had to say he was like and I, i'm gonna read this straight from straight from the comments that he said to me so these are his words He's like, you can say this too. I'm worried about them not being ready. I'm worried we don't have systems in place to support them from freezing and stress to dealing with people who think that they can get away with things because somebody's young. I'm worried that kids' lives are going to go down the path that I did where it took years for me to get over some of the first days I've had to do over the years to save people's lives. I'm worried for the kids who are going to be so, so, so nervous that they make mistakes I'm worried for some asshole who's going to come along and really abuse them in the workplace. In my opinion, the life-saving society needs to be working with schools to get invested in swimming lessons and survival skills, bringing swimming back to school, and that the government needs to pay out more money to make it worth it. The last cost estimate I saw, it takes 5k to be a lifeguard, to make 50 cents more than an Ontario in Ontario than the Starbucks or the McDonald's employees. My staff pay them better because we demand better, but also make all the efforts to make it worth it. And like, wow, like he, he hit that right on the nail. It's all about the education. We need to get into the school systems. And we also need to have quality instructors delivering our program, which quality assurance while delivering a program, a national program, has always been a challenge and we do our best and some instructors are teaching this course with no guard experience which that's okay so we need lifeguards we need theory we need that but i mean it's hard to teach the essence of something when you've never experienced it yourself you know it is it really does come down to education it really does like getting them comfortable in the water at young ages. One of my friends, they live just five minutes down the road. I went to high school with them, actually. I grew up with the one girl, and we ended up just serendipitously five minutes apart from each other in East Vancouver. They just had their first child, and already she's one years old. We've been in the pool three times now, and it's like, yeah, you got to get it when they're young. You educate and you build up the strength because swimming so many people are like oh yeah i want to be a lifeguard and they're you know runners or they they cycle a lot swimming uses all of your small fast twitch muscles that you know a lot of sports don't really engage in using and to use these muscles like you need to intentionally think about the placement of your body and your body position like swimming is an extremely technical technical sport if you're a half a millimeter off like kind of thing you know your stroke is way different your efficiency is way different it's something that you need to build into it's not something that you know you can just kind of be like mediocre at like everybody can run you know, you might not be able to run far or fast, but everybody can run to some capacity. And 
everybody can bike and, and stuff like that. But swimming, now you also have the breathing. You have to learn how to breathe with the water. Whereas like with running and biking, you just breathe. There's no thinking about breathing. So it's it's quite it's quite a lot. And then you go on top of that and you add rescues into that. So now not only do you have to be an efficient swimmer, but you have to be an efficient swimmer for you and someone else because somebody else's life depends on it. You know, if you're going to be a, if you are the first aider or the lifeguard that's responding in a rescue, it's quite, it's quite a different aspect than being called in for a rescue. Because again, and I think I said this in episode three, like 99% of the time, everything's good in your life. But as a lifeguard, especially because it's their duty, right? When I say lifeguard, it's their duty to be on deck. They have to be rescue ready. They have to be alert. So for lifeguards specifically, like 99% of every lifeguard's life is quid pro quo. Everything is as it is and as it always has been and as it seems, right? But they have to be ready for that 1% that 1% chance that something, anything, whether it be a nosebleed, a spinal, a drowning, a unconscious not breathing, a heart attack, a stroke, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, anything, they have to be ready for all of those situations like that. This is an aspect that we don't really think about, we don't really grasp in lifeguarding, right? We, because as society, we go to the pool, we see that they stand there or they sit there and they just look bored. Well, a lot of them do, right? So we don't actually realize that they're, they're, they have a really high purpose. And I'm not saying that every lifeguard takes their job this seriously because I know for a fact that they don't. And this is why it is like my life's mission and my my duty to provide quality training and to provide it to small remote communities because they don't have as much access as places like the Lower Mainland. Like there's probably 20 instructors in the Lower Mainland and none in these small communities. So, And this is why Rescue Replay has been created because maybe if I can't catch them with a training session, maybe they can listen to this and they can apply it in their own lives in their own way. You know, it's all through education. It's all through awareness and discussion that we as a society really start to form unity and we start to grow together. The last thing, there is one last point that I want to talk about with critical incident stress and the reason why I brought up the 99% of the time we're good, but we have to be prepared for the 1%. And this, like, that is from me. That That is from my experience. 99% of the time, everything's good, but you've got to be ready and willing, so remember, like, to perform for that 1%. Critical incident stress is inevitable. What I talked about, if you didn't listen to episode three, go listen to episode three. It's a really good snapshot into what critical incident stress is and what's happening in the body and how we can move through it. Okay. So now it's going to take time for that trauma, for that emotion, emotional trauma to process itself and exit your emotional body. We could put it that way. 
as you're moving through this, you're going to find like, you know, maybe at the beginning you're talking about it a lot and you're referencing it and it's coming up and like you're relating it to everything that's happening in your life. And then you notice that, okay, maybe I'm not, I'm not talking about it as much or, you know, and eventually you talk yourself out of it. You know, it's all in sharing. So the reason why I mentioned that is because sometimes we get in our heads and we're like, oh, people don't want to know about my negative experience. Well, didn't we just go over how shared struggle releases oxytocin and promotes connection and love and trust within each other and our communities? So you're not a burden. This is negative. This is not negative. Telling somebody about a time that affected you is not a negative thing. I think there is a way to be situationally aware of when it's appropriate to bring it up. Like you might not tell like a classic kindergartners, for example, or, you know, in different human interactions, it's, it might feel a little bit more out of place or a little bit more forced. So like maybe those aren't appropriate times, but we know as humans, when we're feeling connected, we know when it's, it's appropriate to be transparent and to share our stories and, and for it to be relatable. Or if we don't, then that's something that we will also learn as we go through the whole process and as we continue telling our story. And I think with telling your story, it's also realizing that what you have to say matters. You know, even if it's just your experience, it's what you have to say matters. If there is one thing that I wished the entire world, every human being really internalized for themselves is how important their presence is. You know, the very fact that they're alive, that we got to wake up, that we got to take a breath that morning, how incredibly important that is. I wish everybody understood that. And if we understood that, then we would believe that what we had to say mattered and our stories mattered. So let's keep opening the discussion. I want you guys to tell me all of your stories. Tell me some something that you want to share on the podcast and tell me what you learned from it. So send me DMs, hit like, follow, and share. Tell all your friends, explode it in the pool. Let's get lifeguards on here. Let's get you sharing your stories. Everybody, all together now. Thanks for joining us today. Tune in next week. We have an exciting story to tell you next week with a gentleman named Craig who started as a lifeguard here in Canada and he's now taken his career into the Cayman Islands. This is Rescue Replay, out.